This is the Yesu Communitas Podcast, a show devoted to Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Thanks for joining this episode. Be sure to like today's show and subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. And now your hosts, Daniel, Myla, and George. Hello, everybody. We're back uh, with We're the Yesu Communitas Podcast. Yes. Um, so it's Myla, George, and Daniel. I'm um, sorry for us uh, being on a long hiatus. Uh, we mm. had Christmas break, a few things, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was George's fault. Yeah, George. <laughs> you know, a lot of school. Me and Myla, we've been here the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> we only live an hour and a half, two hours yeah. away from each other. Well, the funny story is we were supposed to record yesterday, and then Uncle Daniel got in a car accident. Yeah, yeah. So, that was my fault. Uh, yeah, but we're excited because we're back with some really great content. We're excited just to talk about um, really exciting topics with you guys. And so just to give you guys a preview uh, today. For- oh, oh, before you jump into the previews, oh, yeah. let's, let's, let's spend two minutes reflecting on our first series. Okay. We, we did six podcasts. Uh, we got some mail, which I expected, you know, yeah. but, uh, were you guys encouraged? I mean, we're encouraged enough to come back and do another series. Yes. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it was encouraging to just have conversations with other people who have been listening. Um, so thank you all for, for giving us feedback, whether it was through Facebook messages or, um, face-to-face conversations. Uh, it's encouraging to... Or strings of emails. Yeah. But yeah. To, to know that uh, we are being listened to and that it's stirring up conversations within your circles. Um, you know, it's interesting to, to kind of hear the feedback that we get, um, you know, whether it's challenges as to uh, the, the things that we've discussed uh, around... Um, Hmong women in ministry, um, what that looks like, or even Hmong American theology, um, and just the questions that, that that have been raised. I think it's been encouraging to know that we're stirring stirring the pot a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And also, thank you to those who uh, wrote blogs for us. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. been really good to hear the different content that's out there, kind of the thought leaders for the Hmong community. Um, that's been really fun for me to read. So. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. McYoung did one. <clears throat> Dur did a couple. Um, Ku, who's uh, who wants to be a historian, he did one. Uh, we're editing a few others right now, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's neat, man. I'm excited about that. Um, okay, yeah. So our topic this podcast is going to be about uh, reformed theology in the Hmong Church. So that's going to be a really Ooh. fun topic to tackle. Mm. Um, and then next episode after that will be charismatic theology. So mm. we're hitting both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one, uh, the, uh, another episode is mental health and counseling. So stay tuned. Keep mm-hmm. listening. Um, if you guys like it, like us on Facebook, send us messages, write us blogs. We're all, we're all for that. Yes. <laughs> These are just like the elephant in the room topics, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty hot button. Topics. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? So reform theology. Let's just start with that guys. Mm-hmm. Um, my first question for you guys is how do you perceive what reform theology is? You know, how were you introduced to that idea? Do you consider yourself, you know, reformed mm-hmm. all of that kind of pick your question and wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. My Bible just arrived. Nice. Which you know we're asking the reform question. I should let you know my my son just delivered my Bible. I have the how reformed of you <laughs> single column journaling Bible ESV edition, mm. the extra special version. So just wanted to let you know that's what I'll be reading out of today. But anyways, 
though. Yeah. Um, so I go to TED's Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Um, so you probably can expect a lot of Reformed theology coming out of mm-hmm. um, that space. Um, many of the students I interact with there uh, would consider themselves Reformed. We just did MLK uh, last year, uh, MLK Fifth You. So that was interesting to see students interact with um, that space as well as uh, was it the 500th year yeah anniversary yeah. which I've got some comments about that but go on yeah <laughs> um, so it was it was definitely a big thing on campus uh, to discuss all of those things um, but you know sometimes it's really difficult to, to kind of wrap your head around what reformed theology is right. yeah um, oftentimes I'll get asked if I'm reformed. Um, at the beginning of my time at TED's, everybody was asking the questions of, are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes I was like, Arminian, is that a, isn't that a <laughs> race that a of race? people? <laughs> <laughs> That's so, Arminian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I'm orth- <laughs> They would be orthodox, yes. by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, Reformed theology, I think, is, is definitely an interesting topic and, and a category that sometimes we place ourselves in as, as Christians. Um, you hear people calling themselves four-point Calvinists, three-point right. Calvinists, right. Yeah. and so a lot of it is on a spectrum, too, as far as what, what theologies you hold to, what doctrines you hold to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think my biggest concern has been recently... Um, wrestling with how you read the scriptures through this lens and and how it becomes practice for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a number of individuals who, who would consider themselves Reformed um, and so either have questions about their own faith because of the ways that they read scriptures through yeah. that lens of, can I be assured of my faith? Can I um, know that I'm saved? And if there are things in my life that are keeping me from the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. or receiving the kingdom of heaven, like, am I saved? Um, and so those are some difficult questions to wrestle through yeah. as, as a believer um, when you're reading from this lens yeah. of, am I predestined? Have I been selected and yeah. or elected and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, you're right. I mean, it, there's such a huge, uh, broad category when it comes to the bucket you know, reformed theology and, um, and there's an American flavor of reformed Mm. theology. There's kind of the neo Calvinist movement that we've had in the last two decades. Um, you know, there are, uh, uh, reformed, but we don't baptize babies, you know, you Mm. know, so reformed Baptists, you know, there's Presbyterians. I mean, right. I mean, the, it's such a, it runs the gamut. So when you say I'm reformed, I mean, what do you really mean? So I think, that question, I think, is a big one. Um, and then on top of that, what does it mean to be re- reformed in Hmong, right? I think, you know, for most of our friends who are reformed, and I would put myself in that camp, I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm reformed for a f- few reasons. But for most of us who put ourselves in that camp, it's because, you know, uh, you do believe that the Bible uh, is the authoritative scripture. You do think that it's mm-hmm. by faith alone. Uh, you do think that, you know, the atonement, uh, uh, you know, Christ's uh, substitutionary atonement has accomplished for you. 
you know, salvation, um, that the Holy Spirit does make you come alive, right? I think, um, but in this original context, I mean, we all know that the Reformation happened as a response to the Catholic Church. So mm-hmm. in our relationship to the Catholic Church, you know, it's a little bit different. We're Protestant um, and probably broadly Reformed, but not as Reformed as the Reformers were. So, you know, I challenge a lot of my Reformed friends. When you say you're Reformed, what you really mean is that, you know, the Holy Spirit makes you alive and not that you mm-hmm. can actually necessarily make yourself alive. And I think even to that extent, most of us would be Reformed because even your Arminian friends would, mm-hmm. you know, very few of them would actually say that, you know, I I can make myself spiritually alive from a spiritually dead state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the order of salvation, which at Ted's were very, very much concerned about. The, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, we got you know Don Carson, who who yeah, you know is a, a world class scholar, and uh, you know we respect him. And so the, the the nuances of you know how salvation happens, I think for a lot of people, when I was in seminary, starting seminary back in two thousand five, two thousand six, you know that was where my headspace was. Like I wanted to nail down these like very fine points, mm-hmm. uh, and I went to probably at the time the most popular Reformed seminary, which was Southern. Uh, mm-hmm. In Louisville, Kentucky, and um, uh, and as a matter of fact, you you couldn't even teach at that institution if you weren't reformed, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so it was more reformed than Ted's, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, um, to me, I think uh, there's a cultural reformed that many of us have become accustomed to, and there's classical reformed, which is kind of the originators of you know uh, those who were responding to the Catholic Church. Um, and then there's kind of the broadly Reformed, in which like most of us would be in that camp where we, we really do believe that, you know, it's only by grace alone. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, but this is a little bit of my critique about how we've adapted it. And this is a, this came from a friend of mine. He says, why are those who 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 teach the doctrines of grace, why are why is it often that they practice grace the least, you know? Right. And I think for me, that's where uh, I've had to examine myself uh, because we talk about the doctrines of grace, which for those of us who are Reformed, we understand what that means. Um, we find that those of us who are in that camp, you know, we're always the ones, we're the cranky ones. We're the, we're the <laughs> yeah. ones that I was policing everybody and pointing fingers. Pointing right. fingers and so, why is that? Calling our, out heresies. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I find myself uh, a reformed sojourner learning to be much more comfortable with other people's theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm open to um, enhancing, you know, my own, you know, so that's that's kind of where I fall. But Myla, you just you're, you're the expert in this because you just finished a class <laughs> at a world class institution, Wheaton Grad School, mm-hmm. on the Reformation. So, what are your thoughts about this? I, this was probably the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a history person. I don't like history, um, but I think it was really eye opening for me. Um, so, kind of a little background, like growing up. I guess my experience with Reformed theology was a primarily negative experience. Mm. Um, like to me, to be Reformed, I guess with the people it was associated with, to be Reformed was to be intellectual and snobbish, you know? Wow. Um, that's what I knew of it. And, so, the, and that's the cultural reform that I was talking about earlier. Okay, ahead, okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of for me, like anytime I heard Reformed theology, I would kind of like, ugh, I 
that's not my theology, whatever that is, because it wasn't even associated with scripture theology. It was, it was associated with the personality. Mm -hmm. And so even the fight to go to Bible college, I was like, I don't want to go to Bible college because I don't want to come out a snob or I don't want to be like a, you know, I don't want to quote John Piper every day. You know, Mm. I just want to love people. That was like, why can't we be friends type of personality? So for me, reformed theology had this really bitter taste in my mouth of mm-hmm. i don't know what that is i don't really know the definition of what that is but whatever it is i don't want to be that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i took the reformation class because of those experiences that i had and i was like i need to know what this is because i don't like it mm-hmm. <laughs> um but be, if if i'm gonna be in ministry i need to understand what reform theology is i need to understand the history of the reformation um mm-hmm. and then learning it it was like the most beautiful thing in the world mm-hmm. you know of here like i think i used to see trying to understand theology as a really snobbish and like superior like way of thinking you know Mm -hmm. i'm better than you because the bible says this but Mm -hmm. when i looked at like luther and zwingli and calvin like there was this love for god Mm -hmm. that they wanted to maintain what god was saying in his word you know and i've never seen it like that before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of we uphold scripture because when we get this right we know who god is fully and rightly as much as much as we can you know yeah so i had never seen it like that like yeah people are fighting but they're fighting out of this goodness of this desire to know god more than they are fighting to be right or Mm -hmm. or to have the answers to everything you know so it was actually very formational for me to take this class and to see reform theology in a whole new way of oh this is a this is a good thing this is a beautiful thing you know so Mm -hmm. yeah hard class but it was really really helpful for me yeah well and i think with with that i mean um that's insightful that you you talk about it uh like that because you know you realize that the reform system whatever that we call reform today you know it was catalyzed by uh men and women of god but specifically the three that you'd mentioned um that, you know, they had a heart for what was right or what mm-hmm. they thought was right. Now, you know, the reality is you, you studied their life, man, they killed people. And, right. you know, I mean, <laughs> they, you know, Luther was not friends to Jews. I mean, it, you know, depending on how you read uh, his writings and stuff like that. But I mean, mm-hmm. um, but these were people that were serious about like getting the Bible right. So uh, there's something to, something to be admired there. You know, if you're not yeah. if you're not reformed, at least you can appreciate that about the early reformers. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of what I tell people is, I used to think Reformed theology was the opposite of intimacy with God. Mm. And after mm-hmm. taking this class, I realized like Reformed theology is the conduit for intimacy with God, you yeah. know, to understand mm-hmm. him fully. And that's been really helpful. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of in light of that, how does, I guess, how do you see Reformed theology affect the day-to-day ministry, practical ministry, or even how your your perception of what ministry looks like with this with theology as your background? Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, there is a uh, an assurance, uh, you know, less to do with like the actual reformed, uh, you know, system, you know, dare I say things like predestination, tulip, doctrines mm-hmm. of grace, the solas, you know, everything that is associated with reformed theology. But there is a sense in which when you think about the sovereignty of God, um, that there's a comfort that I think it, it sustains you in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the joy of knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, God wins, um, you know, that uh, God has a purpose for even the, the most heinous sufferings. 
um, that as difficult as ministry may be, that the the salvation of souls isn't up to to me, you know, personally. I think those things bring me a lot of comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a lot of the, you know, uh, I think the the intimacy that Milo was talking about earlier that a lot of the reformers had. I think, um, again, that's a generic thing. I think all Christians can have that. But mm-hmm. to the extent in which, like, Reformed theology has helped to champion those things, I think it's been very beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, talking about that intimacy with, with God and wanting to, to know Him better, wanting to know His Scriptures better, um, and and the passing of Billy Graham recently mm-hmm. um, raised a lot of these questions as well as far as what was his ministry? Yeah. Um, how did he lead people to, to Christ? And, um, you know, do we... You know, a lot of the conversations that Francis Chan has about what it mm-hmm. really looks like to be a Christian, um, you know, I, I think for me, practically, when we look at uh, Reformed theology, um, that desire to know God more, that desire to, to be a disciple of Christ, um, all those things become very practical in the sense that salvation, um, you know, doesn't necessarily come at praying the sinner's prayer. Yeah. But there's a, there's a relationship there yeah. that, right. that needs to be uh, formed, that needs to, to continue to take place in your own life. And, um, you know, if re- Reformed theology is spurring us towards that, yeah. you know, um, it gives us an opportunity to, to look at the scriptures more deeply and to reflect on our own lives more deeply. And I, I'd say that with that, um, uh, We've benefited from maybe less reformed theology. We've benefited from the American Puritan Pietist movement. That's really, you know, uh, you know, if you think about the current, uh, I said neo Calvinist, uh, you know, movement. Like, just think, you know, in our circles, it would be, you know, John Piper, MacArthur, uh, you know, kind of TGC crowd. Mm-hmm. Which I hope we let's let's talk about TGC in a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, we go, you and I both go to an institution where the guy who who leads TGC is yes. still a revered professor there. Uh, but you know, DA Carson, um, mm-hmm. um, you know these guys uh, and women. Uh, you know, Rosario Butterfield would be in, in this camp, uh, even though she has an interesting like uh, origins into <laughs> reform uh, circles. They would they would be the uh, modern expression of the American Puritan Pietist movement. Which mm-hmm. is kind of that early reformed movement from from England, uh, Europe into the United States, the colonial, and then you know the whole John Owens, and mm-hmm. um, I think there's a there's a strong continuation that um, uh, yes, reformed but more, but what you're talking about is the Pietist kind of that holiness movement that mm-hmm. we saw with the Methodists, but also it, it was really strong um, with the Puritans, right? And that's why. Some people love the Puritans because they're reformed and they love the Puritans because the Puritans had this like, you know, insistence on, on a piety, right? A holiness. Mm. And I think there's a direct correlation with that uh, and uh, our, our TGC friends today. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there is a, a strong emphasis. Um, and, you know, if a lot of our TGC, TGC friends, like they they, you know, they are very much oriented towards the Puritans and, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that, um, there's a lot to benefit from that. Um, I think there's some challenges as, as Hmong Americans that we need to be aware of, but, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know, maybe we should talk about that. We don't... <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah. I guess that's kind of a question I had. Like, yeah. 
So I, when I took this class, right, everyone, in, there there was six of us. <laughs> Not everyone. There was only six of us. The other five people in my class, they were older white males, right? Mm. They're, they were all history of Christianity majors. I was kind of this oddball, small Asian girl, Christian formation major. Like, what am I doing in this class? And um, at the beginning of our class, like I everybody went around like why are you in this class and so they all kind of share their history like (laughs) you know reasons Mm -hmm. and then when it came to me i was like what does this have to do with me other than yeah yeah, i'm a christian so this is part of the history of christianity but like i grew up in an immigrant church i'm Hmong american like christianity's Mm -hmm. my history's not that long i'm just reading about a bunch of dead white guys and like (laughs) does that mean i just learn what the white guys tell me and then i tell all my Hmong people this is what the white people said you know Mm -hmm. like i had a really hard time connecting and I still did after this class. I would go to office hours all the time to talk to my prof because I was like, I know this is big, but what does it have to do with me? Or mm-hmm. like, how does this change the way that I, I see ministry or as a Hmong American student at a Western Bible college? Like, mm-hmm. what is this? How? Where's the bridge? Where's that connection? And I struggled with that a lot. So I think especially with a lot of our seminary students, we're, we're primarily going to be learning this from professors who are white and male um Mm -hmm. if not female they're still going to be white in some ways Mm -hmm. um we haven't gotten to that place where our prof is going to be somebody who looks like us and so their theology is going to come from a perspective that might be similar to ours um so i still struggle with that a lot so i'm i think i'm still in this place of okay reformed theology is not bad it's a good thing Mm -hmm. but still like now that I'm learning it, mm-hmm. what, where do I connect it to who we are as Hmong people? I, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know? Yeah. As a Hmong American, I have to admit that sometimes um, uh, a lot about American uh, Christianity and, and our, our, our flavor of Reformed theology, and I say that because, I mean, there's, again, the spectrum's huge, because you can be a mainline liberal and be Reformed, right? So, And we're not mm-hmm. talking about that. We're talking about evangelical Reformed Christianity. That's what we're really talking about. I think mm-hmm. that's for for most of us. Mm-hmm. Like when our, our Hmong pastor friends, when they say they're Reformed, mm-hmm. they don't mean they're like uh, Presbyterian US, USA Reformed. Mm-hmm. They don't mean they're Christian Reformed Church Reformed. For most of them, they mean they're uh, they're reformed baptist complementarian evangelicals that's what they mean because i have a lot of reformed friends that are egalitarian they're mainline Mm -hmm. um and uh so you would not be that kind of reform but anyways uh so when we talk about that um i think for me it can often feel like saul's armor as a Hmong american you know Mm -hmm. yeah that metaphor where you know uh saul says to david you know here's my armor and and david's like "Ah, yeah yeah it could help you but i don't know how it's going to help me yeah and i have felt like personally uh at times uh it has it has kind of felt like that you know for for me and so uh, george i mean what about you i mean what how's when we get into these conversations you know at ted's or you know Mm -hmm. with seminary students how does it feel for you yes feel similar to to Myla. I think sometimes in having these conversations they you, you can see the benefit, you can see uh, areas in which, you know, you can continue to grow. Um, but sometimes it just feels like it misses the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that illustration um, it just doesn't fit well. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think oftentimes as we 
kind of continue to move towards more minorities into uh, academics, into the academic world, um, we'll kind of be able to play with this a bit more as far as perspectives mm -hmm. and and what it looks like to to develop uh, and continue to reform yeah. this theology, uh, our theologies around, you know, what what actually works for us, what yeah. what works for our people groups. You know, constantly I'm looking at issues in ministry. Um, I took a, a, a issues in men's ministry course, mm. um, and you know there were a number of individuals who would consider themselves reformed and you could tell by the but you know most of the class i think i took a demo like i wrote down the demographics of the class yeah i was the only asian male there and there was one african-american female there oh. and and i was like man this course is going to be like <laughs> not the greatest course for me because we're looking at men's ministry from this perspective and everyone else is just a white male yeah. student at ted's and you know, in, in those spaces, I'm I'm always thinking like, what am I going to gain from this, and how am I going to apply this to yeah. to my context? Yeah. Um, and when you hear these perspectives, um, it, it it's difficult to to wrestle with. It's difficult to um, try to take on and apply into yeah. into those. Sort of yeah, I, I, I think I think you hit on the nail right there. I mean, uh, and I, I want to keep nuancing what I mean by reform. So uh, let me put another layer on it. You know, academic, seminary, uh, reformed American evangelicalism, complementarian, that flavor, neo-Calvinism. Um, what it does, it does two things from my experience, personal experience. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about everybody else's, but... One is it does what Mila said earlier. It whets your appetite for the intimacy with God and man, how how majestic He is and the glorious. Like it's the John Piper. Like you know you 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 know you're, you you glorify God most when you're uh, you find yourself most satisfied in mm -hmm. Him. The Christian hedonism, like all that stuff, man. You know when I started reading Piper back in um, late '90s, early 2000s, I, I mean, ate it all up. He's still a hero of mine. That aspect of it, again, it's not strictly re uh, based on a reform system, but that what I was calling earlier, the American Puritan pietistic, like that, it just gave me so much energy, you know, love the mm -hmm. Lord. And part of the reason why I started my ministry in worship is because of that devotion and adoration of him. Mm -hmm. What it does, if we're not careful with the cultural aspect of it, the cultural reform aspect of it, is it leaves a taste in your mouth that your current church is not enough Mm -hmm. or there's something wrong with it, or it's unbiblical, or, you know, it's not meeting the expectations of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, and so it potentially can trick you into thinking that you're a part of a heretical church or a liberal church or uh, a church that's unbiblical, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I again, having gone through that myself and, and had some of those thoughts, I think that's where uh, we do need to be a little bit nuanced, you know, mm -hmm. if not careful in how we adopt uh, Reformed, academic, American evangelical theology. Mm -hmm. um, and because uh, in some ways it was contextually formed for a mainstream American audience, mm -hmm. the way that we've done Reformed theology, mm -hmm. and if we we just kind of blindly wholesale adopt that, uh, what you're like what you were saying earlier is that we um, it doesn't it doesn't quite fit the situation, you know, and it, it can leave us uh, if we're not careful, it can leave us like criticizing our churches, and it yes. can leave us criticizing, you know, 
other pastors who aren't academic, scholarly. Now, it's true. There's some people that they don't preach every Sunday. Mm -hmm. They talk, uh, they give advice, but they're not preaching the word. So, you know, granted that happens. But in a larger scale, I think um, if what it's done to me, uh, and I've had to repent and, and really change my heart, is um, I thought I became, I thought I was like the, I was spiritual police. You know, Absolutely. I thought it was my job <laughs> yeah. to police people. Mm-hmm. And I understand from scripture, it's very few people have that job to police people. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it's probably you're a pastor policing like the hundred people that are in your church, you know, right. and you're not policing like, you know, American evangelicalism or the mm-hmm. Hmong church. And so um, uh, that phrase reformed, but reforming, I mm-hmm. think that, that that's, that's um, very applicable to Hmong Americans. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, just um, for you younger listeners out there who are considering ministry, who are in college right now, um, considering what theological stances you're you're taking, uh, mm-hmm. the, the different lectures that you're listening to and all the things that you're you're soaking up right now. It's it's very easy to to right now look at the church um the Hmong church specifically and say man like I can never see myself doing ministry there. Mm-hmm. And and I only say this because I remember myself at 18, 19, 20 going into to ministry uh you know studying at a Christian um private college uh receiving all this westernized mm-hmm. theology and 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 practices and things like that and and telling myself man i i don't think i could ever serve in a Hmong church because the things that i'm learning feel like they'll never apply to or i'll never be able to actually put into practice um you know just just caution to that um because uh a lot of what you're learning probably isn't really set for the Hmong church um, but that doesn't mean that we can't re- continue to reform. We can't continue to to shape the practice yeah. that, that comes from our theology. Um, just because it's taught to you one way doesn't mean that it has to be practiced that yeah. one way. Um, and so for you younger listeners who are wrestling with these thoughts of what sides do I take mm-hmm. and, and what ends of the spectrum do I fall on, um, know that... Uh, as we continue to grow as a church, um, one, the Hmong church is very young. And it took me yeah. a couple of years yeah. to, to really understand that the white American church is centuries old. <laughs> right. You know, right. we're in the Hmong church. You know, we just celebrated, what was it, uh, 40 years? 40 years. Yeah, 40 Hmong years. American church. 40 yeah. years as, as the Hmong American church. And so, um, yeah, just know that the Lord is, is working. Uh and continuing to, to to reform even the Hmong church and in the ways that we'll be able to to reach out to people and um, continue to practice this theology that we're gaining, yeah. that we're, we're pulling yeah. out from. So that's good. Um, yeah. So I I mean, as we're talking about this, like, so here are these kind of different camps. Here we're Hmong. Here's Reformed theology. Um, maybe in your experience or in theory or how you guys have seen it done well, like what does it look like to begin to contextualize reform theology within the Hmong church? Um, what does that actually look like? Um, especially cause we just, you know, celebrated the 40th year. Like, 
our parents are done with their job you know mm-hmm. they did their part uh we're the we're, we're the next turnover of the yeah. next generation of people how do we start thinking about Hmong churches while you know holding reformed theology is something that we value mm-hmm. um without losing being Hmong you know our you know it's like these things that we have to start thinking about and wrestling through what does that what does that look like for for us to do that I, I think for for those of us who are blessed to have uh, education, uh, especially at the seminary level, mm-hmm. um, there is a bit of you know this is going to sound corny, Spider Man, right? And, you know, with uh, <laughs> with horror comes straight a great responsibility. Uh, we do have a responsibility to be more creative. Um, and now I, I, I do say you know you shouldn't be creative if you don't have the basics down. So you know make sure you have the basics down, right? Um, and the Hebrews writer actually exalts, uh, exhorts, you know, that, but, but I hope that you guys have gone beyond the basics of the laying of hands and baptism and salvation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a point where I feel like, you know, we've, we, we need to get beyond the basics. You know, do we have the basics down? Now, if we don't have the basics down, then, you know, let's get back to the basics, right? But going back to the Hebrews writer saying that, you know, uh, I, I wish that you guys were eating meat by now, right? Like, but mm-hmm. you guys are still drinking milk, you know? Um, I think it's that passage in Hebrews 6. Um, and, um, I do think that the, the, you know, to kind of give it a little bit of a spin on that is I think we're at a point now in the Hmong American church where we need to, uh, be more creative in the way that we understand how God is at work in our generation. Um, because Miley, you're right. There is a, there is a work that God did in the previous generation and that's almost done with, that's almost completed. At least the baton is like being passed. And so the task of the Hmong American leader today, especially if you're a thought leader or a theological leader, is to 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 understand creatively what is God doing in our time. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm a little bit nervous that if you adopt American evangelical reform, complementarian, hardcore theology, dare I say, and I respect them because we go to an institution that supports you know, like the TGC brand of reform theology. Again, hear me saying I respect it mm-hmm. and I'm very much a part of that. But if we adopt that wholesale, what we do is we actually uh, end up short-circuiting um, our responsibility of asking the question, God, what are you doing in our time, in yes. our day, among, among Americans? And, the, you know, and some of it will will look very, it should look very much like what he's doing among American evangelicals in the reform camp. Because uh, if we're all Orthodox and we're all Bible-believing Christians, then a lot of it should look the same. But there are a lot of questions that can't be answered by going to a TGC conference. Mm-hmm. Um, did I just get us in trouble? Okay. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of questions. There's in, 10 messages in your inbox right now. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of questions um, that we are asking or we need to ask that maybe we don't know to ask right now mm-hmm. um, that can't be answered for us by attending, um, you know, um, um, a, a TGZ conference or name, name, name any other conference. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, what are some of those questions? Well, I think it's interesting. We can have a whole entire, we've had some already uh, episodes on this, but we have another, as a matter of fact, plug, we're thinking about, we're in the process of creating a small gathering of theological leaders, pastors and leaders uh, in June here in Chicagoland for anybody interested Yes. in learning to figure out what some of these questions are. But one of them could be, God, why are we here as Hmong Americans? You know, mm-hmm. um, and the Bible is not going to tell us straight, but that's, that's a theological question that we need to begin to mind that mm-hmm. D.A. Carson can't tell us, you know, mm-hmm. John Piper can't tell us. And, you know, my, my, my bookshelves are lined with these guys, but 
these are questions that we can only ask when we come together. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's very important. You know, what can we do in our generation? I think uh, uh, this, these are, this is one of the probably most um, important signs in a maturing church, right? This is a missiological concept that you're uh, self-sustaining, you're self-governing, you're self-propagating, and then mm-hmm. we added a fourth one, you're self-theologizing as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that's where we're at today. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with all of that in the sense that, you know, um, if we ever get opportunities to, you know, do a meet and greet and and talk with all these big theologians and and ask them these these questions, most most of the time we're going to sit in their lectures and recognize that they're trying to feed a very wide audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're mess- you say wide or white? Wide. Okay. Wide. All right. Yes. Not. <laughs> but white. also white. But also <laughs> white. Also white. Um, you know, and and the difficulty is if we get the opportunity to sit with them one-on-one the truth of the matter is when we ask them these questions about our cultural yeah. situations they won't have the answers that's for good us. george yeah they right. they're going to and they'll admit yeah they'll, they'll admit, admit it yeah. and they'll they'll say you know what to be honest you're the expert in yeah. your own context and so as Hmong theologians as pastors as leaders we need to be asking these questions of practically how does this play out mm-hmm. within our context um, and so again, that plug, if you're, if you're thinking about these things, if you have questions about these things, um, we would love to see you at this gathering, um, that's coming up and, uh, more information will come out about that. But, um, in our circles, even as we sit around the, the table with our elders in our churches, um, as we gather together as friends, as pastors who serve in a, in a close community with one another between churches, we have to be asking these questions of are we practically applying these theologies that we're we're reading that we're we're learning that we're gathering so that the people who we're discipling mm-hmm. are are understanding why we do what we do mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um you know being a young pastor uh most of the time we're not in associate roles we're in youth roles and and those youth pastors out there who are listening as you know you consider all these things that you're gaining for yourself how is it that you're applying these things that you're reading you're applying these things that you're you're listening to through through podcasts through um online lectures um or if you're even in school what does that look like in your your specific context Mm -hmm. even with young youth um Mm. and and how do we begin to develop their minds yeah to, to think these ways. That's good. Awesome. Um, yeah, well, I'm just going to try to wrap us up since this is getting, um, we're almost hitting our time. Um, but before I do, I just kind of want to pay attention to maybe some of our listeners who are currently in seminary, have graduated, are, you know, youth pastors or pastors out there. Um, what is a, a word of advice that you have for them? Hmm. For me, um, Mine is, uh, it comes from scripture, First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 10 on. Um, and I think it's very fitting for maybe this generation that we're in right now. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. 
For it has been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or, you know, the Sunday school answer, I follow Christ. Um, and then he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul mm-hmm. crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none may say that you were baptized in my name. Mm-hmm. He goes on verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross Christ be emptied of its power. So I think the encouragement I get from what Paul saying is here is number one, he charges us to be united. Like that is, that that needs to be um, especially in the Hmong church right now in the next generation, that needs to be our goal is be united. Not let's, you know, the goal is not to like, to find uniformity across theology. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll say this, um, and I, I've shared this with a couple of my friends, um, that the higher up you go in the Christian leadership, the more tension that you have to be able to maintain mm-hmm. in order to lead at that level. Yeah. So, now, probably that also means the more conviction you need to have of your own theology. But in order to maintain unity, you have to be okay with the tensions. And I think that's what Paul is saying is that you guys are like, hey, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos, I follow, you know, Jesus. You're not okay with managing that tension. You need to get to this point where you're okay. But he, he sort of says that, says that <clears throat> you know, you, you need to be unified, same mind, same judgment, that you need to arrive, um, you know, at decisions in the same way. And so I would say for us, man, I I wonder if before anything else, we just need to have a commitment in our heart that regardless of where I serve locally, regardless of where I serve vocationally, mm-hmm. that I'm committed to the unity of the body of Christ, but specifically in the Hmong American church. And so um, I'm I'm making that commitment. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I am going to continue to increase in my own convictions. Uh, theologically, but I'm going to stay open-minded so that I can have dialogue and be challenged. But I want to do that so that I can serve the body of Christ with uh, other sisters and brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get into a situation where, like, um, man, the people that I like the most, I can't serve with them because our, we nuance our theology differently, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to be in that yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. So definitely. What about you, George? Yeah, <clears throat> I would. I would echo that and just to help all our listeners understand that, uh, again, all these conversations, all these um, difficult questions that we have to ask, and and when it comes to, to where we land on certain topics and issues, um, recognize that there's, there's a spectrum. Um, recognize that uh, the extremes are, are always dangerous to hang around um, because uh, if you hold too tightly to one thing, um, you leave no space for grace for others to, to speak into mm-hmm. um, practice, to speak into um, spaces where uh, there, be, there, there may be grace that's needed. And so, um, you know, whether or not you consider yourself Reformed, whether or not you consider yourself Arminian, whether or not um, you have no clue, uh, don't find yourself in spaces where you're pointing fingers. Don't find yourself in spaces where um, you can't accept uh, the work that another church or another pastor or um, someone else is doing because your theology doesn't allow you to. Mm -hmm. Um, Call out what needs to be called out, but at the same time extend grace where grace needs to be extended. That's That's great. 
Um, and then I think for me, uh, <clears throat> I think a, a, a word that, a, a scripture that God gave me when I was running away from the Hmong church mm. um, was also in 1 Corinthians where he, he writes, you know, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and not all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I have nothing. Mm. Um, and I was in a season where I had, I had been out of the Hmong church for so long and the thought of going back because how slow they were and how behind they were and their theology, it frustrated me and I was like I'm gonna go anywhere else but there and God gave me that passage and it really humbled me because I think something that God spoke to me in that season was um you know like change is good but you can't change anything unless you learn how to love it you Mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. and there's a difference between change because of frustration and change because of love and so I think I'm all for advocating for change and I think moving the Hmong church forward is necessary we have to Mm -hmm. um but if we don't do it out of love for the Hmong people if we've not you know uh, learned to love ourselves who we are and try to understand theology out of that then we we miss the point you know Mm -hmm. um so I think that would be uh, my word of advice so yeah um let me just close this out in prayer um god i thank you so much for um just the gift of education and i thank you for this new wave of Hmong people who are stepping into higher education and bible school and seminary and i thank you just for the way that you're leading our next generation into seeing what you have for the Hmong church Mm -hmm. um god give us the humility to learn well and to do excellent, but God, to never forget who we are and to never forget um, where we come from, God. I I pray, God, that you would give us a vision for the Hmong church, God, that you are dreaming bigger for our people than we are for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Other people, white people, Mm -hmm. Chinese people, other denominations, they have dreams for the Hmong people and the Hmong church, God, and I pray that we start dreaming bigger dreams for ourselves as well, God. I pray for unity in the Hmong church among differences in theology and the nuances, God, that um, we would be unified and we would commit to that unity together moving forward, Mm -hmm, God, mm -hmm. um, that we would grow in love for you and uh, love for the Hmong people greater than our individual biases Mm -hmm. or preferences or theology, God, uh, that we could put that aside for uh, just the the greater vision of the unity of the Hmong church. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we thank you, God, move us forward and uh, we lift this up in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Myla, George, and myself will be back again with another discussion about Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Uh, But can you do us a favor? Can you share the Yesu Communitas podcast with your friends? And then also remember to like today's show, uh, share it out on Facebook, and then subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. All right, see you in the next episode.